Nothing worth having or nothing that is valuable is going to come cheap. You can't get anything valuable cheap. Told my kids a long time ago, you get what you pay for. You can try to get all the sale you want. But there are certain things that don't go on sale. Valuable things don't go on sale. Because they're always valuable. The value never changed. So why would they go on sale? So I want you to push. I want you to. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try my best to help you along and to motivate you and encourage you to move along. It's time that we pick up the, the pace a little bit. It's time to pick up the pace a little bit. I feel strongly today like the Lord impressed in my heart. He didn't speak to me. I didn't hear his voice. I didn't feel like he spoke. But I feel like he impressed in my heart a lot that we're going to have to deal with inconvenience if we're going to get where he's trying to get us to. We're going to have to put up with some inconvenience if we're going to accomplish the will of God. If we're going to get to heaven, we're going to have to be inconvenient. And, and, and I know our humanistic way of being, you know, we are always looking for the easiest way to get anything done that we're doing. And it just so happened that we're living in that time where our world is trying to show us and teach us what's the easiest way to get things done. And so we may have taken on that, that, that way of being and not even realize it, that all we, we're looking for is what is the best way to get it done? Always remember this. The Bible says Jesus, same yesterday, today, and forever that he never changes. This is probably the only thing I know in life that there is no other way to do it. Just get that one in your brain a little bit. This is the only thing I know in life that man cannot come up with some kind of dynamic way or or some kind of technology or some way of making this work without the way it was created and established to work. There's no other way. There's no other means. And so while it's easy to look for a, a simpler way, a better way for a lot of other things in life, unfortunately, it, it, it's not going to happen with this. And so by sitting back and probably trying to figure and trying to pray, uh, what is the best way to, to, to handle this? What is the best? There is no other way but the way it's written. So this is different from everything else you've ever dealt with. Living for God, the word of God is different from anything else you've ever dealt with in life. In, in corporate America, we're always trying to figure out a way, the best way to streamline something, to get something systematically in place. We go to our, our IT folks, wherever we work, and we say, listen, uh, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And he, he, here is how we would like to see it done. And the IT guys, the programmers, they go back in their little cubby hole and they got to write a program to make what we just said work. And that's how life is. And that's fine. We can't do that for this. We, we can't go to anybody to tell them, come up with a program that make this work better. And I think sometimes we, we probably don't even realize that we're doing that. Let, let's find a way to make this work better. 
We're in our discipleship manual. This is a new manual. This is our spring manual. So we're in spring before spring is even here. Um, but I'm starting with lesson 3.1. I'm not starting with lesson 1.1. I'm starting with lesson 3.1 because I, I kind of know what the Lord has directed me to preach and teach in this church probably for the next two to three months. I know exactly what I need to preach and teach to this congregation because that's what the Lord has put into my heart. So this, this lesson 3.1 goes right along with what I believe God has put into my heart to teach to our congregation. Amen. Romans chapter, well, let me start with John. I'm going to go to John chapter 12, verse 25. I'm going to go to John chapter 12, verse 25. I actually woke up the other day with this text. Boom, just hit me right smack in my head. This text was right there. I'm like, oh, man. And and that's kind of, again, uh, how I know where God has taken us, because when he puts something in your heart, then he starts putting the scriptures in your heart that go along with it. And he said, OK, Lord, I got it. So Romans chapter 12, I will do verse 25 and verse 20. I'm sorry, John. Thank you. You're paying attention. That's wonderful. John chapter 12, verse 25 and 26. John chapter 12. Sorry about the heat. I think the 70 degrees has caught everybody off guard. And so, you know, people that's, you know, any building that have their air condition systematically um, set to for, you know, certain temperature because of the year, time of the year, we're, we're getting caught off guard there. So, amen. We apologize for that. Take off whatever you can take off. Just don't take off too much. But but try to do your best. <laughs> try to do your best to um to stay cool and I'll try not to keep you long. John chapter twelve, verse twenty five says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. <laughs> Let me read that again. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal. Verse 26 says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am. There shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's some stuff there. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'll read verse number 1. And I'll probably jump down to verse 9. I'll just read two verses of the scriptures here. Verse 1. And verse 9, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Verse number 9 says, where did I go? Verse number 9 Says, for God is my witness, whom I serve 
with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. I think by now you may, if you're perceptive enough, you may have picked up that that word serve has been used quite a bit tonight in the text that we've read. And so Paul said he's a servant. Then we drop down to verse 9. He says he serves. But in John also, when we look at that, talked about if we serve Christ, we need to follow Christ. And Christ says where he is, that's where his servant is also. And if anyone serve Christ, he will be honored. Hmm. A lot of servant talk going on. And so the topic of our Bible study lesson tonight is the identity of a servant. The identity of a servant. Because Jesus lived his life as a servant, as his followers, we are called to do the same. Because Jesus lived his life as a servant, as his follower, we must do the same. And so we'll talk about the identity of a servant tonight. Let me tell you a little story that I've, that tickled me a little bit. You'll like this. Joseph Stowell shared a story of a friend who was flying coast to coast. Circumstances had allowed that friend to be upgraded to first class. He wasn't in first class. He got a circumstance. He got upgraded. As that person that got upgraded, that traveler reclined back in first class and starting to chill in his leather seat, that is. He noticed across from him this elderly couple. And the elderly couple that he noticed across from him, they were obviously loaded. They was rich. They had money. As a matter of fact, he says they had old money. <laughs> when you hear somebody says old money, it's not just any kind of money. It's just real money. Old money. That money going to last a long time. And so he noticed this older couple sitting across from him looking rich, having old money. And so the flight attendant made her way down and said to the woman, ma'am, would you like a pillow? That She said that to the older rich lady. Ma'am, would you like a pillow? The older lady looked straight ahead without answering her. Thinking that perhaps the plane engine was a little too loud, the flight attendant, right, raised her voice just a tad bit higher and asked the same question. Still no answer. So assuming the woman may have been hearing impaired, the attendant got closer and said with a louder voice, Ma'am, would you like a pillow? At that point, the husband turned to the flight attendant and said, you have to excuse my wife. She don't speak to servants. 
Oh, there's some loaded people like that. I'm not talking to you. Oh, there's some people that's loaded like that. They, they will, to, to talk to you, they're stupid. And they're not doing that. You're a servant. I'll have another servant talk to you. You don't talk to me. <laughs> now think about that flight attendant, what she may have felt like. But also think about this. Do you think that she ran back down the aisle of the plane to go tell her other flight attendants? Can you believe they called me a servant? I'm sure she was hot. And I'm sure she wasn't quick to go tell somebody that she was called a servant. By contrast, in the scripture, one can often see the value and significance to those who simply serve. So part of where we're going tonight, while we have a challenge in being Christians, following Christ and serving Christ, is that word serve and servant is not a very nice word, quote unquote, in, in this day and age, in our society. So we don't even realize just by the stigma of understanding that a servant, one who serves, is not a really nice thing that you want to be called. Yet and still, Paul identified himself a servant. The identity of a servant. Jonathan's armor bearer once said to him, do what is in your heart. With this, with that statement, the servant was committing himself to serve regardless of the outcome. The Hebrew word for, for, uh, for heart, when someone says do what's in your heart, when you read the Bible and it says what's in your heart, it's referring usually to three different facets of the human life. Your heart is, is, is referencing three different facets of the human life. So when Jonathan's armor bearer says, do what's in your heart, he's saying, listen, I'm here to serve you. Whatever you desire, you do it. The three facets, the three facets of a human life when it talks about the human heart is, is the mental process, the emotional process, and your will. So when we talk about your heart, when the body's talking about your heart, it's talking about your mental capacity, your emotions, and your will. Such a high level of commitment is a great description of what a servant of Jesus Christ is to be. When we say we are servants of Christ, we're saying that we will serve Christ with all of our. And if we're serving Christ with all of our, we're serving him with our emotions, our mental capacity, and our will. I don't know what's left out of that. A servant of Jesus Christ turns the pyramid of selfishness and self-interest 
upside down. When I was making our hierarchy chart for this church, corporate America, when they make the hierarchy chart, you'll see the lower you are on the chart. When you look at the chart, just look at it one time. The lower you are on the chart is where there's more people. And the higher you go on the chart, it becomes shrinked in, less people. Until you get to the top, there's one person. Well, when we were building the hierarchy chart in this church, I told them, start at the bottom with the person that, quote unquote, is supposed to be the person that's leading. Because I understood this a long time ago, that the way how we're going to do this is together. We can't do it. With someone being great and everybody else just moving along. Everybody else just following along. We can never accomplish God's will just by one individual being good and everybody else is just filling in the gap. God calls us a church. God calls us the body of Christ. And in both instances, he's talking about a group of people, not an individual. And so it's important to know that we're going to have to do this Together. And all of us in the kingdom of God has been blessed with abilities and been blessed with gifts that God wants us to use to further his kingdom. Oh, yes. Such commitment is not regulated to a few hours. Talking about serving now. Such commitment is not regulated to a few hours on Sunday. Maybe an hour and a half on Thursday. Maybe an hour Saturday. Serving God is not regulated to those times. And unfortunately, I have to try to help in whatever way I can in teaching the Word of God to let you know that serving God has nothing to do just with the time we come together in the building we call the church building. But I'll get into it a little bit more and show you, though. But serving God begins in the church building. Oh, come on. All right. Serving God is a dedication to follow Jesus wherever he leads. We must start serving at home and in church. Before God will allow us to serve outside. Some of you, most of you, some of you are young Christians. But I'll tell you what some older Christians are thinking. You've had Christian people that's been around a long time ago. And what they say, Lukey, they said, God called me. When you hear that word where people say God called me, it means they're saying there's something specific and quote unquote in humanistic thinking big. That God called me to do. And what they're hinting on is since God called me to do that, it's not going to be in this congregation that I'm going to do it because it's going to be so big that it's going to be out of this congregation. I haven't disputed any of that yet because all of that is probably accurate. Here's the problem. God will never allow you to leave the congregation Without serving in the congregation before he call you to serve outside the congregation. I, I told people that, that 
if the quickest way to respond to that God calling, that really great thing that God has called you to do, is to give everything in your local church. Then you have the people that says, Brother D, yeah, but the pastor don't allow me to do that. Listen to me. The pastor cannot stop what God intended to do in your life. I don't have that kind of power. I am not God. And if God says, Lukey, I called you to do so-and-so and so-and-so, and and if that so-and-so and so-and-so that's calling you to do is one day going to take you outside of the local church here and do something, that's going to be great, and I support you, but there is nothing I can do to hinder that. The only person can hinder God's calling in your life is you. Because when God sees that you're being right, obedient, submissive, then God, when he's ready, because all in the local church, what he's doing is training you. And so he's training you in the local church. And once you are trained and equipped, then God says, now I can trust you and take you outside of the walls. Listen, you don't send your kids out to go anywhere until they're home trained. You ain't sending your children to go over to the neighbor's house if you know your son is disrespectful. You're going to make sure you train them right. You're going to make sure you train your children right so when they finally go outside the house, they know how to represent home. Well, why would God send us outside of the local church to go do stuff if we don't do stuff right in there first? Got to do it right in the local church. I'm talking about serving. That's what I'm talking about. It is important to realize that serving is not a matter. This is a big one because God has put this in my heart really strongly. It is important to realize that serving is not a matter of convenience. We try to serve God out of convenience. We want to serve God when it works with our schedule. We want to do for God when it works out just right. But God, if it don't work out right, I can't do it. Well, wait a minute. Do we need to go revisit what the meaning, the definition of a servant is? Do we need to go back and review the definition of a servant? Because last I checked, servants don't have any power. Last I checked, if you go back, I'll even show it to you in a little bit. Servants are more, when the Bible calls us a servants, it's probably closer to being a slave. But don't forget what I just read to you in John. Right? Don't forget what I just read in John. John says, That if we serve the Lord, wherever he is, we will be. And he will honor us. So this is a different kind of deal here, even though we're given the title servant. It's a different deal. But it's very important to point out, listen,
It's not until I begin to do things for the Lord that inconvenience me that I really feel like I'm doing anything for the Lord. If I do everything for the Lord out of my convenience, then it's still me. I'm still kind of pleasing me. I'm still kind of doing my thing. Yeah, when I do it, but listen to this, listen to this. A godly individual, no, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. An ungodly individual can do godly things. An unrighteous person can do something righteous. So, me doing something for the Lord out of convenience is not impressive. Because all I'm doing is doing something that is convenient for me, which really I've already understood I'm going to benefit from it. But when I begin to serve the Lord, when I'm inconvenient or inconvenience, this Saturday, I'm doing something in the afternoon, and I just found out that there's a prayer breakfast in Irvington. Normally, Saturday mornings I wake up early in the morning, finish up whatever thought the Lord gave me, put it down on paper, study for what I'm going to preach Sunday morning. That's my normal way of doing things except if I'm out of town or whatever. And so this Saturday morning, that was my plan because I know I had something to do at about one o'clock. And so I'm saying, okay, I have this to do at 1 o'clock, so I'm still cool with my schedule to wake up and prepare for the Lord. And then I realized just last night, there's a prayer breakfast in Irvington at 10 in the morning. That's not convenient. Because it takes me one hour to get to Irvington, obviously one hour to get back, and the prayer breakfast is going to go from 10 to 12. And the folks that's leading it is Jamaican people, so that's, that's, that's not good. That's not good. They don't know time. I'm going to have to leave at some point in time while they drag it out, but I'm just saying. And so I'm going to be leaving the prayer breakfast to shoot back down here to meet my one o'clock um, situation. That's not convenient. But I learned a long time ago that for me to say I'm serving the Lord, I got to be inconvenient. It got to be, man, that's, that, that don't fit into my plan. However, the Lord always fits into my plan. And if that's what he wants, that's what, what, what he's directing me to do, then that's what I'm going to do. When you start becoming inconvenient or inconvenience for the Lord, now you can start saying, okay, okay, okay. I have to be honest with you. We have become the convenient people. In order for movements to get started, it usually gets started because at some point in time, we can look back and see something that we may have done wrong in the past. And I believe that in this day and age, people have looked back and say, man, all that we did back then wasn't that necessary. And the only reason why we're saying it now is because we have made things easier now. 
But remember what I started out saying. Everything can be streamlined and technology can take it over and make it better. But the things of God cannot. And so we look back this time of living. We have looked back and said, Brother D, yeah, all that we did back there, that wasn't, that wasn't even so necessary. And I would probably beg the difference and say, nah, that's not true. We might sit here now and say it's not necessary because things seem to be different now. But I will beg the difference as if we didn't do that back then, we couldn't be here right now. But what we have done is look back and see all the stuff we did then and decide we don't have to do that anymore because we did that before. And so we find ourselves in a place now of convenience. Because you know why? 20 and 30 years ago, Christian people never lived conveniently for God. They never did. And they bust their hump. And, and, and they did so many things that maybe you can challenge and say, ah, you could have did a little bit differently. But they did all that. Listen, that's water under the bridge. It's water under the bridge. It don't change the fact that we still have to serve God in our inconvenience. We cannot just decide to serve God out of convenience. Oh, it's prayer Saturday at 6 o'clock. I hear this. 6.30 prayer. But Saturday is just my only day off. Saturday is when I do my, me and my husband get some time together. Me and my wife get some time together. I get all of that. All I'm saying is, start asking yourself, when do you inconvenience your life for God? That's all I'm saying. Answer that question. Because I realize we must live a balanced life. I understand that we better love our spouses and we better take care of our families. I, I got all that. But there better be some times in our life where we inconvenient ourselves, ourselves, for the Lord. If we call ourselves servants of God. We can't live for God conveniently. It will make you a soft Christian and you will become weak and weak and weak. And before you know it, you compromise a lot of your efforts with God when you begin to live for God conveniently. I'm telling you, take my word for it. You will become weak, weakened and weary and, 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 and just listen. You've heard me said this before. The old timer, Elder Swaggart, Brother D, he said a long time ago, I don't know, this could have been 20 years ago, Swaggart said, if you live for God easy, it's going to be hard. If you live for God hard, it will be easy. I don't know if you get that. Let me break it down probably how I'm teaching tonight. If you live for God conveniently, it's going to be hard living for God. If you live for God inconveniently, it will be easy living for God. So if the way I'm going to live for God is always out of my convenience, it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard living for God because now here is here's an example of what happens when you live for God. When, when, when you're living for God easy and it makes your life hard, you have to always make decisions 
about what's right. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? That's living for God easy. When you live for God easy, you got to always, you, now you got to ask yourself all the time. Well, is that necessary to go there? Should I do this? They're doing this. I, and you talk to yourself a lot about what you should or shouldn't do. And you even say, well, God, what do you think? Then you don't hear from God, so you just make a decision. But when you live for God hard, what it means is I don't ask no question about nothing. If it's something that's connected to me and my church and whatever God called me to do, I'm doing it. No questions asked. That's living for God hard. So that way you don't have to go through. Should I or should I? I didn't have to go through in my mind. Should I go to the prayer breakfast or not Saturday? No, I don't go through my mind in that. Oh, prayer breakfast. I'm there. That was easy. I didn't have to question myself. Well, that's far, that's Irvington. And what I'm doing Saturday is a family thing. I'm going to do the family thing still. But let me go put it at least an hour, hour and a half into this over here. I'm the one that's going to be convenient. My family will still have me. I will still take them out. They will still do what I told them we was going to do. But that place will see me for hour, hour and a half. So my family didn't get inconvenient. I did. I'm the one that's going to have to drive back from Irvington, right, and get back at... 12.30, 1 o'clock, and then have to drive another hour and a half. I'm going to have to be doing all the driving. So I was inconvenient. I'm going to be inconvenient, not my family. You follow what I'm saying? We can't live for God conveniently. Why do people talk about service yet do not regularly serve? A person's self-declaration is important because it usually defines what one feels to be important about oneself. What is that saying is sometimes you have to say something out loud in front of people to make yourself accountable. It's never good to say to yourself, I'm going to start fasting next week at least once a week. And you tell yourself that. And you don't tell anybody else. Now, you know, you mean well when you said it. Trust me, you mean well. You weren't trying to, you're trying to get spiritual. And you're making a commitment to yourself. I'm going to fast once a week and I want to get spiritual and closer to God. But you didn't tell anybody else. It's easy to not keep that commitment. But when you say, stand up and testify in church on Sunday. The devil bit on my tail and I need to get closer to God and I'm going to promise the Lord I'm going to fast at least once a week for the next five weeks. And y'all can come up to me and ask me anytime you want that I fast this week. That changes everything. When you make a declaration about something, it changes everything. So it's important to understand when Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, he was telling the whole world, I'm a servant. Uh-oh, Paul. So you're not going to come around here and act like a big shot then. Because you can't say you're a servant and then you come to church and act like a big shot. So he he was writing to the Romans. There were people, that they, they were Christian people that he did not yet encounter. And he says, you know, I want to come and see you. I want to impart some gifts and some things to you. And I need to get to you. That's what he was writing them to tell them. But when he wrote to them to introduce himself and says, I'm going to get to you, he says, a servant. So what that meant was when he rolled upon them finally, he better not come act like he big man on campus. He better roll up and says, that letter I wrote to you, Paul, the servant. Well, the servant is here. 
He made a declaration, so now he has to honor that declaration, and he can't say he was a servant and get with those people and act like, oh, all of a sudden now he's the apostle Paul that God has used mightily. Don't work that way. Make that declaration. Paul, a servant of Christ. Paul saw himself first as a servant. We all know Paul was an apostle. He could have said, Paul, the apostle. That's not what he said first. He said, Paul, the servant. And so we shouldn't have a problem identifying ourselves as servant. Jesus identified himself as a servant. Paul identified himself as a servant. And it shouldn't be hard for us to identify ourselves as a servant. Do you normally view yourself as a servant of Jesus? Anybody identify themselves as a servant of Jesus? Brother Tom, Sister Aisha, you, you, you view yourself as a servant? All right, I'm going to go some more, and then you tell me, you can raise your hand, you know, continually. It's like, like a bidding thing. Just keep raising your hand if as I go along, you still feel like you see yourself as that. <laughs> All right. I do not know that Jesus teaching or Paul's application of it will ever be particularly popular, that word servant. It is not the term servant that is difficult to grasp, but the challenge is that we actually grasp the concept of servant. All too well and do not want our lives to be defined by the word servant. So, when I see you Sunday, Sister Aisha, I say, servant, come here. Servant, come here. What you going to do? Okay. Servant, come here. But I'm calling you servant. Will you come here? Are you going to come or are you going to give me attitude? All right. Servant understands who they are. So when you call them that, they don't get offended by that. Let me say this. There are people that are not good people that will sometimes do good things. There are people that's not good Christian people or not even Christian people that will do spiritual things. Never forget that. So here is the trick. If you are a Christian... That is a good individual. Your attitude will determine if you're really a servant of God. Your attitude will determine if you're a real servant of God. When the going gets rough. When people challenge you. When people are not cooperating. When you call a meeting and nobody shows up. Or when this, somebody said, okay, you know, I'll help you with this and they don't help you. Whatever the case may be. What kind of attitude are you going to have? Because at the end of the day, what you plan to do or supposed to be doing was unto the Lord. So if it's unto the Lord and you're serving the Lord and things don't work out, what kind of attitude are you going to have? And your attitude will definitely say if you're a servant of God or you was just doing it because you just had to do it or you was doing it because you wanted to do it or you was doing it because it make you look good. 
Why am I teaching this tonight? I'm trying to get us to realize if we call ourselves Christians, we're going to have to serve. We can't say we're Christians and we're not serving Christ. You're going to have to find some way out to serve. All right. The word servant. The word has humble implications. More akin to slave than we typically think. Across history, servanthood was marked by loss of freedom. Oh God, that's a heavy one. Limited income and a lack of social status. So when you look back on what a servant is or a servant was, they had limited freedom, they had limited income, and they really lacked status. Because the word servant don't give you status. You're a servant. Get out of here. The rich lady on the airline, that's what she did. I don't talk to servants. So that take away every status you think you can get. Then the money you making, if you if you making money, because some of it might just be you just got some place to live. So even the money situation is not good, and your freedom meaning you can't just get up and go whenever you want. Are you a servant? Are you a servant, Sister Aisha? Freedom is limited. You can't get up and go whenever you want. You're not really getting paid. Not right now anyway. And you have no status. Are you a servant? No one in modern North America raises their children with the hopes that their child would become a servant. (laughs) But again... In the kingdom of God, it's different. God is not like us. And so what we've been not liking and not wanting to be called and and all the things that go with it, that's how we feel. But God is saying, embrace it. Embrace it. That's who my children are. Yes, I know you're serving me out of love. Listen, a husband serve his wife and the wife serve his husband. At the end of the day, do they love each other? Yes. So, so let's not allow this to mess you up. Because if you're married, you're serving your spouse. And your spouse love you and you love your but you're serving them. So don't get it twisted that, you know, God, you know, could pick a different word or a better word. He's trying to teach us something. And so, in the kingdom of God, serving, being called a servant, that's the key as opposed to having status, having your freedom, and having everything going good. So look at what Matthew 23, 11 says. Matthew 23, 11. But he that is greatest among you. <laughs> but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. God is, he knows how to twist us up. We steady. Don't call me no servant. I ain't nobody's servant. And God is saying, in my kingdom, 
That's who is important. That's who is special. That's who have status. The servant is the one that has status with God. The servant is the one that will raise above and people will recognize. The servant is the one that God appreciates. Remember I told you Sunday, God is not looking for help. God don't need your help. He don't need you to figure anything out. He don't need you to do anything. Just give him your service. That's all he needs you for. What he needs you to do to carry the message. Go tell so-and-so what I said. He just needs your service. Because he's going to tell you what to go tell so-and-so. So all you're really doing for God is just being a servant. This is why it's okay to say, I am a servant of God, and it's okay. Because you're not helping God because you're not smart enough to help God. You're not powerful enough to help God. Whatever you're doing is just service. All it is, service. You're going to someone to deliver the message of God. You're going to the church house to say, we're here worshiping and praising God. So if someone comes in that don't know God, maybe God's presence, because we're worshiping Him, will just overcome them, and they will come to the place of knowing who God... All we're providing to God is service, because that's all we can do for God. He don't need anything else. He just needs you to do the legwork. So if we get in the church and we're walking with God and we're living for God and we're not providing service, God can actually say, what good are you to me? He really could say that. What good are you to me? I got everything else down pat. I don't need you to be smart. Remember, I, 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 I use a donkey. I can do anything. I just need you to be a service to me, of service. Just go, say this, do that, vacuum the floor, put up the table, fix up the place. I've given you abilities. I just need your service. That's all he's saying. I just need your service. I can get you to play music you don't even know. I can get you to get on that keyboard and just start ding, ding, and you play a song like, whoa, where this come from? All I need you to do is just play it. I give abilities. I just need your service. Brother, you coming up here standing for the people and preach. I don't need you to do nothing. Just say my word because that's all that's work. That's all that works. That's all that's worthy is his word. So I can't get up here and give you nothing of me. Because I, I, I don't have it, but he's got it. And so the only way I can make an, an impact is if I speak what he says. The only way we have impact in God's kingdom is by just doing what he says. Because all he needs, he don't need us to come up with something amazing. The plan is already in place. His brain is behind all of this. He don't need us to come up with something new. He just wants us to provide the service to get the job done. So there's no need for us to get too smart. There's no need for us. This is why a long time ago, the Lord get me to understand what's the most important thing that we can give him. That we could never compare ourselves with each other. Why we could never compare ourselves with each other. 
Everybody got different talents and abilities. The only thing that you can do for God is be available. He promotes us through availability. God promotes you through availability. God will raise you up through availability. God will use you through availability. That's your most precious commodity you have as a child of God. Not talents, not abilities. The most precious commodity you have as a Christian person is your availability to God. That's it. Most precious thing. And the more available you are, the more he can do with you. The less available you are, the less he can do with you. And so the people that God will use the most is not the most talented people. It's the people that's most available. You hear that, Simeon? You got that? It's people that says, I want to go. I want to be there. Let me do this. Those are the people that God will use the most. Because what you're saying is, I'm available. Here I am, Lord. Send me. There's a scripture that says, the Lord says, I look for a man to stand in the gap. And I found none. It's all about availability. It's never about our talents and our gifts. Not with God. Maybe on your job. You can show talents and availability and talents and, and, and gift. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, in Christianity, servanthood is non-negotiable. As Christians, serving God is non-negotiable. Listen to this. Any who follow Christ, Christ should not wait for a call to be a servant. You, you Serving God, you can't say, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to call me to see what I'm going to do. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Each disciple of Jesus Christ is simply to be a servant of Jesus. So let me start. I'm probably, this is probably part of my um, notes here, but it's at the end. Let me say this to you. Whatever you know how to do, do it. That's where service starts. Put my grandmom out there. My grandmom gifts. And talent might be some other ones, but the one that I know the most is cooking. She cook and she serve whoever she can find to serve. She served the man on the street corner. She served me. She served everybody she knows. Cook and serve. That's her talent. So if she's in the church, you know what she's supposed to do? Cook and serve. There's always a need for whatever your ability is. Bring it in the church. If you cook one Sunday, just bring a pot of food and says, after church, anybody want to eat? There's food in the kitchen. That's serving. I'm just telling y'all how it goes because we be wanting this great revelation. We want, we want, we want to know that, you know, we're going to be doing something great and everything God does in our life, it starts little. It never starts great. You vacuum real good at home, vacuum real good in the church. You, you clean toilets real good at home. Clean good toilets at home. Clean it in church. 
Whatever it is that you know how to do well, bring it into God's kingdom because God was the one that allowed you to be good at that anyway that you're doing at your house. Bring it in his house and watch him work as you make yourself available. That's how you do it. If you sing in the shower, come and sing in church. It's serving the Lord. <laughs> we, we want this great revelation thing. We want this great, oh, you're gifted to do this. You're gifted to I hear that. Bring it in the Lord's house and watch him perfect that thing. And before you know it, like, whoa. So don't look around and find out, what, what should I do? If you're good at entertaining people, have people come over your house or take them out to dinner, but entertain people. If you're good at praying, have a prayer meeting at your house or tell everybody, let's meet for prayer meeting at church because that's what you're good at. But we all got stuff that we're good at. God didn't make you without you not having some gift or talent that you're good at. Use it to serve the Lord. All we can provide is our service. We don't have any talent that God can't give to somebody else. I watched that thing, that talent thing. I watched that talent thing. I watched people with talent have their talent, and when they didn't want to use their talent, God found somebody else with talent. Because he's the one that give talent. The concept of servanthood is an overarching promise of godly living. Servanthood seems contrary to the idea of success, of gaining influence, or making an impact in the world. Yet in biblical experience, servanthood is the common approach to all things meaningful. Usher to pastor. That's, that's, that's where my service started. Ushering. Ushering, Luke. I knew how to tell people, follow me. And I'll take it to your seat. I knew how to do that. So when I got to church, I said, can I usher? They said, yeah, you can usher. And I took people to their seat. Did I think that 21 years ago when I was taking people to their seat, I was going to be standing here 21 years later? But you got to start from somewhere. I never, I never was paying attention to anything but the one little focus, taking people to their seat. I'm only saying that to let you know I don't doubt that God have big plans for you. What I'm saying is you got to start very small and just give the service. And if you don't do that, you can't experience all the greatness that God has for you. David took care of his father's sheep. He would have never experienced, he would have never believed he was going to be the king of Israel. We don't know where God has taken us, but what, what we do know is he starts with some little thing in our life, some little meaningless thing, ushering, sitting outside under the stars when it's cold, dark, crickets, and you sitting with sheep, 
and you're going to be king one day? Whew. Man, God is no joke. As far as God is concerned, greatness is not measured with the yardstick. As far as God is concerned, greatness is measured with the yardstick of service. Those who serve others become the impact makers of their time. I want that's a drop the mic. I'm serious. I won't drop it, Trump. I know you're worried about it. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? I, I love that. He worried about something I'm not worried about. Because that's his thing. That's servants. That's service. So let me say that again. Those who serve others become the impact makers of their time. That's the way you're going to impact your generation is by serving them. Listen. Listen, 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 listen. The original intent of the president, governors, senates, congress, you can go on and on and on. The mayor, councilmen, the original intent was to serve people. Not to be this big honcho. Not to say, look at me. Not to say I'm the most powerful man in the world. That wasn't the original intent. It was to serve your fellow people. And today, the President of the United States is known as the most powerful individual in the world. We say it, but that's not what the intent was. They were supposed to be the greatest servant. Oh, God. That's a God concept. That's how God sees it. And believe me, if they stayed honest, they served all the way through. It was always about serving. When the, when the mayor sits down at that house down there, she's sitting down discussing how Hamilton can be better. That's serving. She's serving Hamilton. That's who become impact people. That's who become different makers is servants. And all of us, in some way, shape, or form, want to have impact. Want to make things better. Want to be able to say, you know what, I left an impact on my generation. All of us want that, but we don't want to be called servants. All of us want that, but we don't like that word and we don't want to go through all that. But God has set it up that way. That the way you're going to get status, the way you're going to become famous, and I'm just saying it just to, just to be able to, to, to connect with you, the only way to do that is to be a servant. And it starts right here in God's kingdom, in this local church. That's where he wanted to start it. Find something to do. There's things you can do, you don't even have to check with me. Find something to do because all of us can do something. It's just a matter of just saying, let me just do that. Who would ever be mad at you? What if we come in one day and we come in and you run in the back. What are we going to say? But smile and say, sis or bro, we so appreciate that. That is so outstanding. That's what we're going to say. Who going to say anything wrong when we come in? There's a pot of food in the kitchen after, after church. What are we going to say? Man, that curry chicken was good. 
What were y'all saying? Nobody, nobody. Listen, you're an idiot if you get mad at serving. Somebody giving serving, serving you, and you making faces and going crazy. Servant. The identity of a servant. We got to take on the identity of a servant. As a servant, we do two things. We're following and we're leading at the same time. We're following and we're leading at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. One's action follows one's heart. One's action, your action will always be, it will follow your heart. So what you desire in your heart, action will begin to be put behind that. So if you feel like in your heart, you love the Lord. If you feel like in your heart, I love my church. If you feel like, you know what, people can come to my church and get saved. Guess what you're going to do? And if you don't bring them to church? The other day, and I'm going to stop right here. I'll stop right here. Got a lot of stuff. The other day, I saw on Facebook, somebody that I work with, post on Facebook, Girl, you got to come kickboxing class with me. You'll like it. So I chuckled at it. I went to work the next day. I said, Rosalind, come here. She said, I said, I saw you told Joanna she didn't come to kickboxing. And Joanna works out. She a beast, right? And she worked out all the time. But somehow they told me, you need to come to kickboxing class. I said, Rosalind, what's going on with this kickboxing class stuff? She pulled out her phone. Let me show you. Slide, 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 and started showing me a five-minute video of the kickboxing. And she was like, man, you don't understand. This is good. Since I've been doing it, and I just started doing it not too long since I've been doing it, I invited seven people. All I did was hang my head. I said, kickboxing, huh? I didn't say that to Rosie, because Rosie, my girl, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get her to come to church. And so I didn't say that to Rosie, but I'm just like, look how excited she is about kickboxing that she invited Seven people and just, and put it on face. You need to come to kickboxing with us. Let that sink in. What are we doing with what we doing? Because what we doing is far greater than kickboxing. But somehow, you know, this is what the Bible talks about. The children of the dark, the children of this world is smarter than the children of God. It's not because they're smarter. It's because they put more effort into their evilness than we do into our righteousness. And I can't settle for that. I don't know about you, but I can't settle for that. I can't settle to let people that's not living for God put more effort into their actions and what they want to do more than I put into mine. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. He will always be the best thing ever happened to me. Jesus is the one that's going to get me to get to heaven. Jesus is the one that has protected and kept me and gave me salvation. This is about eternal life. And I'm supposed to let the people that's just living in the moment of their flesh to outdo me? Can't let them outdo me. Can't let them outdo me. And so... We need to really examine ourselves. 
what we doing about what we say we believe, what we doing about our availability to the Lord, what we doing about serving God. Let me tell you this last story and it's definitely a wrap. This guy, he's a missionary. I believe his name is Albert Switzer. He's a missionary. And he was in a foreign country doing missionary work. And one, one time, some men from the U.S., he invited them to where he was doing missionary work. And he told them, why don't you come and spend some time with me? And they went over to where he was in a foreign country where he was doing missionary work. And when he got there, you know, they spent time together. They talked about ministry, talked about all what the Lord was doing. And so they said, come on, let's take a walk and we'll show you around, you know, how our cities and places are set up. And they're walking around and they're taking a walk. And all of a sudden they realize that the man wasn't walking with them anymore. And they looked and they saw him walking and he was walking towards this lady elderly lady that had a pile of wood on her head trying to make it up like a steep little hill and she was struggling to get up with the the wood on her head and she's trying to get up and he went and he reached out and helped her up the hill with the wood on her head and brought her up this missionary himself was 85 years old at the time woman was elderly as well and he joined back the group and they said, man, you 85. What in the world are you doing? And what made you go and help that lady with all that wood on her head? I mean, you barely can do your thing. And his simple response to them was, nobody should be carrying a burden like that by themselves. He really got the word, which is, bear ye one another's burden. That's the word of God. Bear ye one another's burden. And so it starts from the top. God's burden is to reach the people he died for. If that's his burden, I should help him bear his burden. If that's God's burden that he died for you and me. If that's his burden that he wants to save all of us. If that's his burden and I'm part of his family. He's my man. We tight like that. This man helped a stranger. God is not a stranger to us. Why aren't we bearing his burdens with him? Because that's all the service is all about. Our servant, the name, the, the, the service, we've, it's, it's, it's just bearing his burden with him. And so if we will start to bear the burden of God, we will begin to see a change. I will forewarn you, anybody or any church that come together and have church and not bear the burdens of God, pretty soon you're going to get frustrated. Pretty soon you're going to have issues with one another. Pretty soon you're going to talk about each other. Pretty soon you're going to end up walking away and says, yeah, preaching wasn't bad, but now you'll find something to talk about and walk away if you don't start to bear the burdens of Christ. That's what will happen to you. We, we make the devil do things that we, and we blame all kind of things why we no longer do this or why we're no, and we say all these kind of stuff and we don't realize my first, no, my probably 
one of, probably my third message I preached. The first message I preached was we're not of this world. But the second or third I preached evangelize and stay alive. Don't evangelize. You will die. And so a lot of us come to church and only take out of church what we need this week. That was good word. That made sense. And we go with it. But we don't realize if we're not bearing the Lord's burden with him, we become stagnant. And I told someone today, anything that's stagnant begins to smell. So if there's no motion and there's no action, a bad smell will begin to arise from that place of stagnation. When you're stagnant and you're not serving, a bad smell will begin to come. And you're not going to say it's you. You're going to blame something else. And it's going to cause you to walk away from God little by little. Nobody wakes up and walk away from God all at once. It starts little by little. You start having a little bit of issue and a little bit of concern and you're stagnated and the smell is coming out. And before you know it, you're far away from God and you're blaming something or somebody. At least I told you up front. At least I told you up front. I pray that you will get involved in being a servant and serve God because God's got great plans for you. God's got great things planned for you, but you got to start from somewhere You don't become great just by doing one thing. You don't have impact in your society by just doing one thing. It takes working at something and becoming good at it. And then God will give you more. You know about the 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 the, the, the scripture that talks about the uh the servants, one got one talent, one got two, and one got five. Well, the one, you you ever notice that when God took away the one talent from the one talent person, he never gave it to the two talent person. He gave it to the five talent person. So the one that only had one talent and talked about he buried it and did nothing with it. The Lord says, give me that one talent. And he gave it to the guy that had the five talent, not the guy that had the two, but the guy that had the five talent. What God is trying to tell us is, as you show that you can handle a lot, I will give you a lot more. So we, we can't we, we, just be patient with God, but start somewhere. Start serving. God wants you to have a story. He wants you to have a testimony. So one day you can be standing here or someplace else telling somebody, yeah, I used to stand at the door. And some Sundays, some people walk by me with dirty attitudes. I still smile. And I wanted to shake their hand and I wanted to hug them and they just walk right by me. You want to be able to tell that story when God does something special and miraculous in your life. You want to be able to tell that story about, yeah, I used to come in and vacuum. You want to be able to encourage somebody. Let them know how God operates. Let's stand. We're done. Any questions as we, before we pray in closing? Any questions? Everybody good? All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you the one that gave us ability. You are the one that gave us talents. And Lord God, none of us can brag of anything that we know how to do because it's only from what you have given us that we can ever be able to do anything. So Lord, we know it's not about our talents. Because you've given us all different talents that we may help 
with the advancement of your kingdom. None of us, Lord God, lack ability or lack talent that you require for us to assist in advancing the kingdom of God. And so tonight, Lord God, I pray that every person in this room under the sound of my voice will make a conscientious decision to say, Lord, I will serve you because I am your servant. And whatever I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever ability you have given me, that's what I will use until you increase my ability. And so, God, I commit my ways to you as your servant. I love you, Lord, and I want to please you. And, God, I want to carry the burden that you have. I want to share in the burden that you carry. And so tonight, Lord God, I pray that I, Lord God, will make myself available, that we, Almighty God, will make ourselves available because, Lord, it's our availability that will make the difference. And so tonight I pray that, God, we will surrender all to you, that you will be able to use us and do whatsoever you please. God, Many of us have fell in the trap. All of us here tonight have have fell in the trap of allowing, oh God, convenience to be the thing that we follow in order to say what we can and can't do. We've 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 followed you in convenience and not just following you regardless of whether it's convenient or it's not convenient. Father, tonight I pray that we will all together and individually make that decision to say, God, it doesn't matter if it's convenient or it's not. If it's your will and it's your purpose that must be done, it will be done by me. It will be done by us. For God, we want to please you. We know we can't work our way into heaven. We know it's not what we do that get us into heaven. But we know that if we love you, we know if we follow you. We know if we're your children that we will willingly and voluntarily and inconveniently serve you, give our service and live for you, Lord. You gave your service when you came to this world and now, God, it's our time to give our service to you. I pray tonight that by the power of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God that there will be a transition and a movement that will take place in our soul and in our spirit that we can complete the mission that you brought us on. God, grant your people the power, the encouragement. Grant them, Lord God, the opportunity. Grant them, Lord God, the strength. Grant them, Lord God, the desire to follow and to serve you. In the name of Jesus, as we go from this place, Lord, let your hand be upon us. Protect us and keep us. That no harm, no danger will come to us. Lord, touch us in a special way, for we love you and pray you and in all these things we ask you in Jesus name let everybody say amen God bless